intrepid leaders and welcome to another episode of the Leadership Blog where we talk about navigating everyday leadership. And in this episode we're going to be exploring storytelling and making the case for storytelling as a key competence for effective leadership. It may or may not come as a surprise that I am a bookworm. I'm also chronically curious and for me leaders who are great storytellers ignite passion and inspire action in others. In his book, The Science of Storytelling, Will Storr says there's simply no way to understand the human world without stories. So let's think about that for a second. They fill our newspapers, our law courts, our government debating chambers, even our school playgrounds, our computer games, the lyrics to songs, our private thoughts and public conversations. Stories are everywhere. Stories are us. It's stories that make us human. Storytelling is often the best way for leaders to communicate with people they are leading. And effective leaders, such as the Brené Browns and, and as well as the Obamas, tell or embody stories that speak to other people. And as Jeff Bezos has said, you can have the best technology and you can have the best business model. But if the storytelling isn't amazing, it won't matter. Nobody will watch. So, is storytelling the tool that everyone leaders especially, should be constantly sharpening. Joining us today to chat about storytelling and leadership is the lovely Jane Dwelly. Jane can truly be described as a thought leader in digital health and in particular the development of people who are able to make the vital transformation happen. Jane trained and worked as a financial journalist for the first seven years of her career before joining the civil service to work at the Department of Health as its chief press officer and later head of Head of Communications for Lord Aradarzi. Jane started working on the digital health agenda in 2013 in NHS England and covers topics such as shared patient records and ambitions to make the NHS paper-free. She now has a portfolio in which she directs international activities for CHIME, a global membership organisation for digital health leaders. She teaches leadership communications around the world and publishes on the subject of nurse and midwife empowerment through digital health. Jane lives in southwest London with her family and also finds time to be a trustee of the Florence Nightingale Museum. Welcome to the Leadership Blog, Jane. How are you today? And thank you for taking the time to be with us. I'm very well, Becky. Thanks for having me on the podcast. It's, it's our absolute pleasure. Thank you for offering. I feel like I wonder at what point I'd be like, you're very welcome, because like it'd be this huge thing to be in our podcast. At the minute, it's more like, oh, thank you, God. Thank you so much for being on our podcast and trying to find guests. I probably shouldn't say that, really. It's, it's really lovely to have you here today. And I know you've got a, a great background um, in terms of the subject matter we're going to be talking about today, which is storytelling. So let's kick us let's kick our conversation off with um why is the art of storytelling so important to leaders do you think jane well it's a great question and i think it's something that isn't always a natural conclusion when people think about what they need to do and how they need to act to be a great leader but if you think about leadership before we think about storytelling leaders are people in charge of making change happen and often in charge of transformational change and stories are all about change I mean you can't start a story without it finishing in a different place and I think that when people are in leadership positions 
if they can um, use storytelling as a way of introducing the reasons for change to happen, then they've won half the battle. Mm. Because if the story is good and if they use the right techniques and if they convince people about the need to make those changes, those people they are leading will choose to follow them Mm. on this journey. And it's that choice that's so important. And when we think about stories... It's something that is part of human experience since the beginning of time. Yeah. As a species, we have always used stories. Even before we started writing things down, uh, our ancestors would sit around at the end of a day and tell stories to make sense of what happened that day. Yeah. And yeah. it's very much part of a narrative of a group of people. And through that, telling a story about something, you reach a common meaning and a commonly held understanding. Uh, And again, quite often when you're telling a story, an extraordinary story or even just an anecdote down the pub or at a friend's house over a coffee, the the fact you're telling a story means that the the resulting thing is more valuable. It has some value around it because you've explained the challenge of getting to that point. So for all those reasons, I think leaders that can employ storytelling in a conversational way, in a way that's authentic, and that's really important that we can expand on in a minute, Mm. uh, are onto a winner, really, because they are able to convince people for all the right reasons to come with them. Yeah, so much to unpack there. I think that's... um... That's a really great overview of why stories are important to leaders. I think you're absolutely right. One of the one of the biggest challenges often in change, isn't it, is to get people to see things in the way you see them or to so as a leader you can have an extraordinary vision of of where you want to get to. But if you haven't got that ability to um engage others in that same story and make them it's almost um make them feel like they belong in that story in in Mm -hmm. that kind of vision as well isn't it that's something around but one of the things I think you you mentioned um well you mentioned several things there but one of the things I wanted to pick up on really was as you were talking I was thinking actually stories are a great reflection tool as well aren't they because you talked about ancestors and how they used to sit around and tell stories about how their day went well that's how you reflect on how your day went and how maybe you'll do something differently the following day so it's very simple in in some ways isn't it in terms of uh you know the power of a story um and i'm sure you can probably think of many stories that you've heard in your in your career and in your personal life jane where, where it's kind of um had an impact on you both to follow maybe somebody and and not to follow somebody as the case may be. that's that's absolutely right <laughs> Becky. i think in my experience working in government communications for yeah. a long time and reflecting on those times now, I am of the opinion that often people didn't bring their authentic self to a leadership role. And so people didn't choose to follow them. Yeah. And so the authenticity of someone telling that story and, the, and of introducing a story of now, as Marshall Gans puts it, mm. the story of how we are understanding the present situation we find ourselves in mm. is really important. And they have to be somebody that you understand to be invested in that procedure. Mm. And I think looking back on the people I've worked with and naming no names, yeah. some people haven't been prepared to even explain why they're in the job they're in. Yeah. And 
know, to give to tell us their reasons for being there. They just assume we think they're there for a whole chain of events that we're not privy to. But when people do actually say, well, I'm in this job because this happened to me and then this did and this I made the decision to, mm. to take this course mm. of action, it really opens up a whole new area of understanding. Mm. And it makes people more prepared to say, well, I believe this person and I will commit similarly to this this, this shared endeavour they're asking us to think about. Mm-hmm. So that's that's um, one thing I think about when storytelling hasn't been used particularly well. And then in other cases, and this is where I think uh, clinical leaders like nurses and doctors yeah. particularly uh, do actually have, in my experience, have used storytelling uh, in a really persuasive way and one person who I worked with a lot was Professor Sir Bruce Keogh who was the NHS's first medical director and he was a cardiothoracic surgeon in Birmingham Mm -hmm. and then he became the first medical director of the NHS and he would tell lots of stories from his time as a surgeon Mm. about why the change we were trying to do was necessary and they all focused on the patient perspective Mm. so he would tell stories about seeing a couple that the, the the male part of that partner potentially had a heart condition and needed a heart operation. And they would say, when will it happen? He'd say, in a year's time. Yeah. And and the, the the wife or female partner's eyes would fill with tears. Yeah. Um, because that's too long to wait for a heart operation. Of so course. then he would go on to explain about his um his work on reducing waiting time for heart operations. Um, and that that made a big difference, I think, to the way that people then thought about why they would work with Bruce and follow Bruce, because he'd been that person giving that terrible news to people mm-hmm. and also them putting their trust in him. And he would also talk about the very special patient doctor relationship that happens in a consulting room when they are there frightened and asking for help yeah. and you are able to help them. Mm-hmm. But sometimes the conditions in which you're operating make that help very hard to deliver. Yeah. And though that's a good reason for clinicians to work on things like access to healthcare, to safer healthcare, to the way organisations uh, deliver and care for patients. So those sort of stories really worked for Bruce. And I think he actually didn't even know he was doing it. Yeah. I mean, which I think probably, he just thought, yeah. I mean, you know. sorry to catch up, but that probably actually contributed to the power of his stories in in, in some way. For it, yeah, because if he, you know, it probably felt more genuine, more authentic, more like that. You know, he's sharing something. I I was thinking to myself as you were talking. It's about there's something quite profound and powerful about somebody sharing their lived experience, isn't there? Oh, <clears> excuse me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's why, you know, patient stories, that's a whole other, you know, patient stories are so powerful in, in terms of getting people engaged and, and, and moving forward. Um, yeah, and I think that you're, you're right about the patient story. They The patient story has been rightly identified, even by boards, as a way in which to focus uh, leaders' minds on what needs to happen uh, in health and care and also to, to also face some uncomfortable truths about maybe something that didn't go so well in their hospital or organization so I think that's that's true that that patient story can be very persuasive and again a, a patient story is truly authentic you know yes. it actually did happen to that person yeah absolutely. Uh, good and bad so yeah. they're really worth they're really worth reading and and 
focusing on. I think going back to your point, though, about maybe the inauthentic stories, <laughs> um, again, so I suppose there are some people who think you know, they can tell a good story to mm. try and get um, something to happen or to try and capture someone's attention. But it's a quite a dangerous game to play because the authenticity is not not something you can fake actually no. I think people look for those those triggers and there's almost like non-verbal signs that that story isn't really something you're committed to mm-hmm. and the facts of it will soon shine out as something that weren't um supported by what what the story you were telling the narrative you were weaving into that yeah so I think it's really interesting and I think I mean, obviously sometimes um it's become very professionalized as well so if you've ever watched a TED talk or or yes. even read the book How to Do a TED Talk, yeah, exactly, yeah. they start with tell a story, give a fact, you mm-hmm. know, and it's sort of a bit sort of, okay, I get what you're doing here. Um, and it is helpful if you're doing an 18-minute talk to get that story out of the way at the beginning, short, snappy story, get people's focus on you, on you and on what you're about to tell them. But um, I'm, I'm more interested in the conversational narrative that goes on all the time rather than a one-off uh, hit of a story. I think yeah. that leaders can keep this conversation going uh, through, through storytelling, through narrative, through listening to other people's stories as well. Yeah. Then they're going to be really successful in their, in their jobs. Yeah, no, I would agree. And I think one of the things this um, kind of rippling and, and resonating with me, everything you're talking about is despite our differences, um, whether that be our, our, you know, our religious position or our, our sexual orientation or, 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 or you know, our, our political views, um, ultimately, fundamentally, we're all human, and there will be something that will unite us, won't it? Whether that's conflict in the world or, you know, so there will be something that unites us. So I think, thank you for that. You've given some great, um, some great examples there of uh, why storytelling is important and, and in both, you know, and, you know, how you can't actually just kind of fake a story and hope that people mm-hmm. are going <laughs> to, you've got to genuinely mean it. And so that authenticity is absolutely key. So we touched on, so I just want to ask, uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about really was what, what, what makes a great story. And I think one of the things that's come through so far is that authenticity but I wonder what else is there, in your opinion, um, Jane, that makes a great story that really does engage people in that kind of forward momentum for a for a vision or a or a change or whatever. Yeah. So, in my experience, people when they're using storytelling, particularly for leadership um, position or to help people come with them, is to make sure that the story has the classic elements of the beginning, a middle, and an end. And that the beginning part of the story is sufficiently um, luring that people want to listen in. Mm. So, and that's quite a a delicate balance because you don't want to scare people. Mm. And so if you think about the way that news works, a news story in the newspapers is going to always capture your attention Mm. and trigger cortisol, the fight or flight chemical in our brain which says what do i do now i've heard this piece of news i'm not sure what to do about it but i'm on high alert and of Mm. course in the last couple of years i've had a lot of that going on with various world events and pandemics and so that can be a problem you can actually trigger people in a bad way with uh, these sort of mic drop moments where people stop what they're doing and then and they get very upset and very anxious about what's going to happen next yeah yeah 
On the other hand, you want to make people listen, stop and listen to you. So there's a delicate balance there about picking the reason for telling the story in the first place. It can be called a setup. It can be called um, the beginning or the um, the reason for something happening. Mm-hmm. But either way, you've got to be really careful, I think, not to scare people into a position of, okay, I'm not listening. I can't cope with this. Mm-hmm. I'm checking out already. But to make them want to carry on listening. And then once they are listening, you get into the middle part, which is what does the journey we're about to go on look like? And will you choose to come with me on this? And that's when a chemical called dopamine is released into our brains, which actually keeps us listening Mm. because we want to know what the ending is. So if you're telling a story like this, you started off with the challenge at the beginning, the setup, the crisis, the whatever's happened, the conflict, the crisis, the setup at the beginning, which has started this chain of events. People want to know what happened, what happens next. And the dopamine in their brain keeps them listening. And I often use when I'm teaching this uh, principle, I often use the way in which um, charities who are trying to raise money for things like cancer research do this in their in their um, in their advertising and and communications. They start with someone having a terrible diagnosis of cancer Mm -hmm. and then they take us on the journey. Like, will they get better? Will the treatment work? How are they feeling? What's, you know, what's going on with them? And we are listening. We are walking in those people's shoes because mm. the dopamine in our brains is saying, please make this be a good ending. We're listening. We're mm. keeping on mm. with the story. And then finally, at the end, we're rewarded with oxytocin, which is the kind of the kind of love chemical where we, we feel that that ending was worth listening to, was worth investing in. And the oxytocin that comes at the end of a story is almost like the relief or we got there that was worth it or even the sort of the sadness and the empathy when it's a sad ending yeah. and again you know but we know we know the story's finished so the beginning middle and end and that's how you know from the beginning we're all taught how to write stories as children mm-hmm. it's still a good way to think about constructing communication with your teams you know what's the beginning what's the setup what's the crisis what's the conflict mm-hmm. what does the journey look like and finally how does that ending make everything we go through worth it can we justify the ending mm-hmm. and if you can answer those three questions those three essay questions then you are on the way to doing a really good story yeah. uh, that will work for you yeah I love that. Do you know what I loved about that? Uh, so I was like going through that. It was really interesting because I was listening to you like, and you weren't even really telling a story. You were just kind of like, but I could relate to when, I loved the way how you related that you talked about actual physical responses to each part mm. of the story. I've never mm. thought about stories in that way before, but it it completely... So one of the things I was thinking of is things like the, the, the David Attenborough programmes are really good like that. You mm. know when you see the little chickens and they get born yes. and, the, yeah. and then and then the mother's yeah. expecting them to fly off a cliff and they go boom, boom, boom down a cliff and you're like, yeah, oh my yeah. God, are they going to survive? You want to know they're okay. And, yeah, <laughs> so I, th- thanks for that, Jane. I really, I really hadn't thought about it in terms of our you know, kind of that physical, there's actually a physiological response to each element of the story. And I never thought of it in that way. So that's really, really helpful. I always think that at Christmas time, uh, advertisers totally get this. There's lots of stories at Christmas about people coming home or people trying to buy presents or people running around and there's always this kind of we all sh- we all know what the situation is. Yeah. It's Christmas. We're yeah. going to get everything ready in time, and uh, will that person catch the flight, catch the train, and yeah. so on? Yeah. Um, 
and they're always that those stories are really powerful you know there's one a couple of years ago i can't remember who it was for but it was about a nurse coming off a night shift and coming home and all the presents oh, yes. had been wrapped up and there was just like you know it's an absolute tearjerker mm. uh, but we you know it's a great story to tell i think that works back to leadership you know that that those three part stories um work really well and mm. i think that's again where we have to move away from thinking about communication and leadership as news mm. because news stories are largely about the start of something and we never find out what happens at the end and yeah. talking about government government announcements or occasionally they are about what happened at the end like we said we'd do this and this is what happened or we have achieved something but they very very rarely dwell in the middle part because yes. the middle part is messy it's unknown it rarely goes to plan it probably takes longer than expected mm. and so if you are in the business of uh, maintaining a certain position on a government or government department's performance yeah. you're not going to spend too much time in that middle part of the story where you are opening yourself up for criticism and judgment mm. you will announce things quite quickly and readily mm. make make pledges and promises um, and then hope that that's been enough to persuade people that you're doing a good job mm. and that's where true leadership comes in when leaders stand up and say you know what I don't know all the answers mm. I'm sharing a dilemma with you I don't know what the answer is I know where we are I know we've got a number of choices to make but I don't actually know today what the right route out of this is and that's a really strong leadership role to take and it's making oneself vulnerable and making oneself open to criticism of not of being not very competent yeah but i think people that are brave enough to do that can win a lot of respect from their teams yeah i mean those are great um there's, there's some great examples there of why storytelling is so powerful for leaders thank you jane and i think you're absolutely absolutely right about that middle bit and that's the middle mm-hmm. that messy bit in the middle when leaders don't own it whether that's saying i don't know what the what i'm doing i, I don't know the answers or whatever else there's power in that isn't there um mm-hmm. but there's also then power elsewhere in terms of um that misinformation can start to grow then, can't it, in that middle bit? And it's the same with change. So take, you know, whether it's the government, it's just, you, can, you know, this is transferable, isn't it, to, to many situations. And if I think about improvement is my day-to-day business in terms of my work. And if you don't, if there's some, if that middle bit is missing for staff, all they ever see is, well, you want us to do this. Um, it's a bit like, I guess, it's when things go wrong, I guess, in the NHS, uh, or complaint comes in from a relative, um, or, or, or or whatever. The ward staff are asked to provide a response, and they never really hear anything afterwards. You know, some of these things come back, so that story is never complete, and it's almost like that um, an unfinished yawn, isn't it? It's quite mm-hmm. dis- dissatisfactory, and you don't really want to be involved again because you never got that sense of satisfaction, that sense of closure, all those sorts of things. So I thought that was a really interesting. Point you made there and the other interesting point is around uh which links into authenticity hugely doesn't it but it's around vulnerability and be willing to be to be vulnerable um in order to engage with the people that you need to engage with for the almost for the greater good in some respects isn't it it is yeah and i think at work we're very keen on agile working Mm. where we work it out as we go along Mm. and you know things develop as they are 
plan um, as sorry things develop as they are um worked through and that's the the basis of agile working um communication doesn't obey those rules at all we know we don't encourage people to say things haven't worked and uh, or we don't know where what the next step will be uh, or to communicate that we actually think it has to be a big announcement or nothing and i think that's a problem for um leaders who want to talk about their work um and have to basically go silent while in the middle part of their, of yeah, their journey while yeah. that's worked out so i'd like to see more people in, in those leadership roles and in you know smaller team roles as well using things like blogs and social media to explain about their work as it's happening and to explain about some of the choices they're making and some of the complexity of that week and why something didn't quite work out as planned. And I think things like blogging, um, which don't have, you know, if they're done authentically as well, Mm. are a really good way of doing that. And I think, you know, one of my uh, pet peeves at the moment is, a thing called a blog, which isn't a blog. So some government <laughs> departments put out blogs, which aren't really blogs at all. They're basically government government statements mm. or press, press mm. releases, you know, ostensibly written by a named person. I don't know whether they even did write that. Yeah. But it doesn't even work as a blog for me because a blog is a web log and it should be more than one thing and it should be a continuously updated thing, maybe once a week, maybe once a fortnight but you know telling a story over a period of time Ah. and not just a one-off way of getting getting a piece of information out into the public sphere so i you know be be warned i don't be beware of blogs that aren't really blogs in my opinion anyway no that's really interesting actually because i i just thought a blog was when somebody wrote a short opinion piece so mm. do you know what i mean so so that's interesting but it makes sense um about that continued but then i have seen others who have set up their own little websites with blogs and it yeah. is exactly yeah. what you describe it's kind of like yeah. this continuous so for example again somebody who may be going through a cancer journey or i have seen nurses um who have got blogs and and they kind of write yeah. about their day-to-day yeah. Um, kind of experiences or whatever so that is a, that's a really um that's really interesting I'm sure a lot of our listeners be interested in that because um it seems to be that more and more people are writing blogs now as well yeah um, and that's the beauty of social media it gives people the chance to uh, get their communication out there mm. to talk about what they're doing in an unfiltered way mm. I mean there obviously are risks of doing that as well yeah. and we need to be aware of those but I think I would like to see more public servants joining that idea of blogging um, a little bit about what they're doing, but on a regular basis and not just when it precedes a large announcement or Mm. publication of a white paper or something like that. Mm. And then, of course, there's the like 20th century version of blogging, which is vlogging, isn't it? The whole video logging thing what do you think of that as a as a because you're absolutely right we've got all of this digital um mm. these digital platforms now that actually make these stories far more widely available than they probably ever were in a lot in, in a lot of ways and i guess in some respects podcasts could be seen as yeah, as a medium yeah. for sharing stories if you do it in that kind of format uh, isn't it but i just wondered if do you have a view on on vlogging i don't have a view on vlogging i've never <laughs> done it for a start yeah. um 
I don't even know where I'd watch one. Would it be on Instagram? So you, so so I watch vlogs in terms of. So I'm a bit of a tech geek, as mm-hmm. people probably well are well aware by now. And so I watch. I follow quite a few YouTubers. They call them, and they right. do kind oh, of yes, vlogging, yeah, yeah. and they literally just carry the camera around with them, yes, and yes, you just yeah. experience. But what well, I guess it's still hand picked, isn't it? And they, mm-hmm. and they still do some. As far as I'm aware, when I've looked into it more, they do some storyboarding. So there is some planning mm-hmm. behind. Yeah, there is definitely yeah. what they're doing. I, I do know what you mean. I have. I yeah. probably have watched a vlog or two on yeah. on YouTube. Um, sometimes like on Instagram Reels, I think yes, they that's the same. Probably, yeah, probably yeah. qualify. But yeah. I yeah I haven't I haven't thought about those as a way of doing uh, this sort of communication, um, but I'm not against it at all no. for a second. I also yeah. think yeah the, the sort of the voice notey sort of uh, podcast element of it. Sometimes a couple of people might do a weekly podcast where they chew the fat, chat about things that have been going on, mm-hmm. um, you know, from whatever sphere they're in. And that, I think, is a similar sort of approach as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, basically, words and voices, whether they're written or spoken, are great. You know, yeah. it's people coming out and saying what's going on mm-hmm. and having the chance to to talk about that. Mm-hmm. I often think about that in relation to my own children. I've got three children, mainly grown up now, and you know they've been they're digital natives they've yes, been you know, yeah. using their phones for as long as I can remember really and I you know I was never against that because I always said you know what they're writing they're communicating mm. and you know compared to when I was a their age sort of lying on my bed reading a magazine for hours on end you know this is different you know yes. this is actually communicating and I think there's a lot to be said for that um they you know they were always reaching out to people and maybe they're not making phone calls and apparently they don't really know how to do that but they they are <laughs> totally communicating all the time I know I know I haven't, I haven't I haven't got any children I have a nephew who's 14 and um you know, he had a MacBook for for Christmas. Lucky young lad, and yeah. um, I was like, "Do you need your auntie Becky to help you set it up?" And she's like, "No, I've already done it." <laughs> no. I was like, oh, right, "Okay, then. can you help me set?" My... <laughs> it's just got a bit like that now, isn't it? So yeah, but I, I mean, this is great, great conversation because it actually leads me on quite nicely to my next kind of talking point, which is really about how do we make stories. So how do, it's it's very clear how important storytelling can be for us as leaders um, in terms of achieving the changes we we set out to achieve and so how I guess it's the next thing really for me is so how do we do that how do we make storytelling a part of our leadership practices and I guess we've kind of touched on some of the digital elements of that in terms of a blog or whatever but I just wondered you know what sort of advice or experiences you might have there around how you make storytelling a part of your leadership practice. Yeah, so I think the main thing to do is, as we already discussed a little bit, is make sure that you have a good reason for standing up there as a person in a leadership role and telling that story. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that clinical leaders, and particularly lately I've been working with lots of nurse leaders on this, one of the reasons they're good at doing that is people in clinical positions do have a calling You don't accidentally become a nurse or a doctor or an allied health professional. You have to train for many, many years. Mm. And so for people like me who aren't clinical, we're interested in what on earth you were um, thinking of, what drove you into doing that, you know, Mm. in the nicest possible way. What what were your influences? Mm. Who were the people in your life that made you decide to do that? Mm. And what keeps you coming into work 
day after day, week after week, year after year. Those questions are really interesting. And I ask people you know, when we start these journeys, when we're talking about this in, in maybe a leadership academy mm-hmm. or a boot camp, I'll say to them, what made you decide to become a nurse? Mm-hmm. Who was your biggest influence? I just get them to write these questions down. Who was your biggest influence? Why did you become a nurse? Who introduced you to the idea and encouraged you? Um, why was it important to you that this person or these people did that? Mm. And even writing those things down and answering those questions can make people understand maybe for the first time why they do have a leadership role Mm. and why they can lead with authenticity in this position. And then having done that, I have noticed that people then start to introduce those concepts into their leadership work. Mm -hmm. They actually start to behave a little bit differently because they've given themselves permission to be that brave and to to step out of you know that anonymity they might have felt they walked in before mm. and to actually flex their experience and their interest in what they do so i think it all goes back to that authenticity but then of course you start saying to people okay we have a problem here we need to take some action and this is what the journey will look like. Mm. And and those choices that you ask people to make at that point to follow you have to be based on facts. And I think that's a that is one of the biggest problems when you're introducing uh, a change to some people. Like mm-hmm. we're going to have to make a change in the way we operate, or the way we're staffed, or our delivery mechanisms, whatever it might be. Mm. It's very difficult to assume that everyone's going to agree on those basic facts. Yeah. That um that is the that is the issue. And it's much easier if you've been having conversations before that point, the continual narrative I've been talking about, mm-hmm. um, in which you are all the time talking to people with the intention of uncorrupting information. So mm. what I mean by uncorrupting is people are in touch with a lot of information all the time they're getting information from numerous sources they're making up minds that their minds about the validity of those sources and the things they're hearing but actually what they want to hear from you is what do you think the truth is what do you think is the right answer here Mm -hmm. can you help us with this wealth of information we're hearing can you pick help us pick our way through it Mm -hmm. and that takes more than just a one-off town hall meeting or staff meeting. It it means continual conversations mm. and talking about things and listening to people and just keeping those lines of communication open because mm. everybody wants to know what's going on. Yeah. People want to know that there is a plan, someone is in charge, that they are working hard for the right reasons and that their work is is for is meaningful yeah. and if you can support those those needs with good information that's clear and is backed up by facts or mm. evidence or mm. data that people can look at and decide on that then i think you're onto a really strong start mm. and then as i said earlier the middle part of the story is where true leadership really starts to shine because Whenever you go on a journey, whatever sort of journey you go on, but let's talk about the you know, the work leadership journey, people, once they've decided to make that leap of faith to follow you, will then go through a sort of upside down S-curve when mm. 
they they leap and then they fall further than they thought they were going to go and they have to fight their way back up mm. before they arrive at the conclusion they're looking for yeah so there's always that dip in the middle when people are thinking this was a big mistake yeah. we shouldn't have done this why did we start doing this mm. and then a leader a good leader comes back in with to remind them about why they're doing it and what the potential goal looks like what the what the possibilities mm. of that goal are and um there are lots of ways you can do that. You can tell little stories in the middle about other people who have overcome adversity, who have fallen and got back up again, who have lost their their faith in what they're doing. Um, and I think that's a really helpful thing to do as well. And it, and again, the skill of doing that is doing it in a subtle way where people feel that you are genuinely telling them for the right reasons, not just trying to get them to stop moaning and get on with their job. Yeah, so I, <laughs> I think that. There's a lot of that in the middle. And yeah. um, and finally, when you get to the end, to the to the dream, to the conclusion, it's really good to celebrate. And uh, someone we worked with, in, who I believe has been a guest on your podcast, Nicole Kirkenbush, she, she has, nursed in yes. South Dakota. And through the pandemic, she would regularly hold little parties when they'd bring in pizza and nice drinks or soft drinks into hospital to celebrate the fact they basically got through another week. Oh, uh, that yeah. they, you know, and she said the celebration part of it was really important. And okay, not everyone likes pizza, but the fact was they were getting together and making a, an effort to say, just for 10 minutes, let's just reflect on what we did, mm. how far we've come and what that journey looked like. And that gave them the sort of strength and also the, the positive feelings to go forward and do it all again. Yeah, yeah. I think it's something that is kind of screaming at me there and what you're talking about is give them hope, isn't it, almost? Mm, you know, with that, as a yeah. leader, use your storytelling abilities to and to give that hope to staff. Because, there, as you say, there is something about, you know, if a leader steps in is that middle bit as you talk again, that is the messy bit, isn't it? That's the bit that's probably the most challenging to bring people back out of that <clears throat> that dip, that slump you just yeah. referred to, and, yeah. you know, kind of bring them back up again. Um, and that is that is about sharing that sense of hope and people who've been there before. It, it does give that hope, doesn't it? Because it, it kind of makes you think, oh, well. You know, there may be hope for me if 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 they got to that. Po- you know, if they were able to get themselves yep. out and get yep. get back going again, there may be hope for me as well. So I really, I really like the way um, you described that, and I love the fact. The I love the idea of kind of using a story and a narrative to anchor people at different points and to pull yeah. them back in. You know, pull them back in, on board to the ship to you know kind of keep on going and navigating. Um, navigating those waters to get to the to the wherever they want they want to go to so um i think one of the things i think is very clear is as i've experienced storytelling we all have as and you know in different ways and i've experienced storytelling where so not everybody's a great storyteller i think we've already established that haven't we um but but we've also established that actually it's it's a skill that needs you know there needs to be cultivated for you know to be a great leader being able to tell stories is a is a is a, an integral part of that so for leaders that may be having difficulty with storytelling um, and i know you've given some great um structure in terms of you know beginning middle and end and how to deal with that but have you got sort of like some have you got jane's top tips 
for leaders and and for leaders who may be struggling with storytelling what would you recommend for them in terms of them trying to trying to improve that skill Hmm. I think what people would find helpful would be to start writing things down. Okay. And not necessarily for publication, but just for themselves. So as we just said, you know, there were the three parts to stories. And yeah. um, to start jotting down why why something has to change. I think in this busy times we live in, and particularly working remotely and coming through all sorts of national crises that we um find it difficult to always uh, reflect on why we're doing things so i would recommend that people who are finding it difficult to introduce change to their teams Mm -hmm. and want to look to storytelling as a vehicle to do that Mm -hmm. should actually start by jotting things down themselves and almost like weaving the story themselves on a piece of paper so that they can see how that structure works. And actually divide the paper up into three, mm. three pieces with the middle piece being the, the widest. And um, make sure that, in, you know, you've, you'll find it really easy to, to put down the beginning and the end. But again, you know, back to my theme, to get the middle bit in is more difficult mm. and will take a lot of effort uh, and predict where people will will fall and fail and, and need more support. Mm. So I think writing it down and being being brave um you know the other thing is that actually it can be quite uncomfortable introducing these topics to teams yes you yeah. probably feel a bit guilty people are working so hard they've had such a difficult time lately the last thing they need is more change mm-hmm. but you know you've you're doing it for a reason and i think having that um courage to choose um this course of action over the potential comfort of not saying anything yeah. is actually quite tempting. And I'd like to say that if you are going to try and adopt storytelling position, you'll find it easier to introduce the change and you'll feel less guilty about what you feel is a burden on other people. Because if the change is that important, it's going to happen anyway. Mm. And you have a duty to your team to introduce it to them at a good time and with uh, time to think about it rather than it being thrust upon them. There's nothing worse, I think, and we all know this from jobs we've done in the past and whatever, there's nothing worse than just having decisions handed down onto you without any explanation, without any reasoning, uh, but just like the decision, this this change is happening, get get on and do it. Mm. And that is such a difficult uh, and wrong way to handle people because people deserve to have a say in their own destiny. Mm. And even if you're including them in a storytelling narrative where you're actually saying to them, what do you think happens next? Because actually I don't know the answers. Then you are giving people a chance to have some control over their destiny and to have a say in what happens next to them. Mm. And that's enormously powerful and convincing. And I think it's people in jobs. I think people will leave when they feel they're just being done to the whole time. Yeah. I read, yeah, it's interesting because I read something about storytelling and how storytelling, if you can, you know, create those conditions and, you know, create a story that you get social power um, mm. so that it, it gives you that social power where people want to come with you, I suppose, yeah. isn't it? Cause yeah, some, they want to listen to you. Yeah, because they want to listen to you. So, uh, you know, that's re- there's lots of different power. Maybe that's a topic, actually, for another podcast is around 
power. So we might come come on to that one. Um, but one thing I, I, particular interest to me is because I'm just thinking now as we're talking through this, I'm thinking about all of the people that I've engaged with over the years who've been who've told me stories. So people who tell me yeah, stories. Yeah. And for me, and I guess everybody's different. And I don't know. So one of the things I was I was just going to bring up before we kind of round off our conversation was just around: is there a magic timing? two stories as in because some people I've had stories it's just like oh get there already do you know what I mean then kind of circling (laughs) terrible long anecdote yes (laughs) is that a terrible thing to say I just wonder if that's more me than them but there's kind of these people that just take forever to get to a story so they've lost so Mm. in terms of engaging me in anything they've kind of lost it so is there kind of like a magic and so if you think about ted talks you've mentioned ted talks and ted Mm. talks are a certain Mm. amount of time aren't they so they aren't there is a time and 18 minutes yeah yeah, and in and in in the improvement world they talk about pitches don't they so they talk about your pitch what's your pitch in terms of what you and you get three minutes in an elevator with somebody blah 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 so i just wondered is there a golden time frame for for great storytelling in terms of how long they take yes Mm. (laughs) (laughs) and they may not be jane i just i thought it was an interesting question to ask it's a great question actually because you know there's nothing worse than someone like you said droning on and you're thinking where is this going yeah and they're taking you down different little avenues and anecdotes along the way and so on um i I don't know i think I, i i tend to think of it less as someone like sit down listen to my story as um an introduction to why we should do something yeah so i think it should it should actually be quite brief yeah and i think if you are able to bring in those elements we've already discussed today about your reason for telling the story mm-hmm. your reason in the job you're doing mm-hmm. your authenticity in having that role mm. then I think that almost does the he- the heavy lifting for you mm. and you don't need to then um go on too much about other things I mean I think also there is a duty when you have got the floor not to abuse it yes not to bore, bore people to tears yeah. on on what, on what you're talking about yeah. and also you will lose their attention you know, yeah. if, they, if they feel you're being indulgent and uh, wasting their time and just sort of having a good old chat about something you haven't really thought through. And I suppose it goes back to what I said earlier about thinking it through. Yeah. If you really thought the story through, it wouldn't be that long. Yes. If you planned it uh, without losing its spontaneity. But if you did plan it and think it through, yeah. it wouldn't be that long. No. And it wouldn't have loads of diversions and sort of little stories in it. So I think that that maybe is is the answer to that. Yeah. But I, I've never been worried about about that i mean i think you know i am worried from in the pub in a pub with someone they start telling me a really boring story <laughs> you can't get away from them just buy more like, wine then jane though surely yeah, why just, are you buy talking more wine. <laughs> <laughs> just get more wine get more wine we have a friend who is very very socially at ease you know he can go into any situation yeah. talk to anybody and i think the reason for that is because he he's a great listener yes. he listens to people and then picks up on what they've said and responds so he would never tell a bad story because he's actually listened mm-hmm. and I often I remember one time when we were like walking on a beach that was really really windy and we could barely even hear each other and he's turned around to me and asked me a question about my family which was really nice of him to do yeah. and it, I laughed I said Adam why are you asking me this now <laughs> <laughs> a beach in a very strong wind but yeah. I just think 
you know, if you're a good listener, actually, that's it. Thank you for making me think about that. If you're a good listener, then I think you will um, tell good stories because you're always picking up cues and you understand the audience you're talking to. Mm. A bad listener or someone who doesn't listen very well will find they have no idea what their audience is looking for yeah do you know what i think i'm gonna end our conversation there because i think that's a really um a really great point to end it on because we've talked about storytelling and the articulation and they're getting out they're getting out there but a story is only as good as the you know the message is received at the listener's year isn't it and so no matter what you're saying if and so I like that. I like that coex- almost like a coexistence between being a great listener and a great storyteller. Yeah, that's a great yeah. way, a great way to end uh, end our conversation. I think, Jane. So, so thank you for that, and thank you. I've, I've really enjoyed listening to your to your insights around storytelling. I've I've got some great takeaways, and I'm sure our listeners will as well. But as you know, I'm not quite finished with you yet. Uh, a couple of uh, things that we ask our guests, each of our guests that come on to the show. And the first thing really is, uh, do you have a leadership quote or a mantra or, or a philosophy that you try and embody on a day-to-day basis to be the best leader that you can be? Um, I don't have a particular one, but I have just recently uh, read a really good one, which I've actually used a few times. So I'll tell you about that. Yes, please do. Um, there, are, there, there are lots of those out there, aren't there? Like first break all the rules and that kind yes, of thing. Yes, yeah. But um, Brene Brown, who I am a big fan of and, and listen to her podcast and read her books, um, she has a saying, which is stay awkward, brave and kind. Yes. I think that's amazing, and particularly in terms of this and in terms of leadership, because it's about the awkwardness is about choosing courage over comfort mm-hmm. and having those difficult conversations with people. Mm. You know, in the in the workplace, sometimes you have to go into awkward situations stick your metaphorical elbows out and mm. get on with something which you probably wouldn't choose to do if you were picking the easy route. Yeah. And then also with brave, the brave part of it, the courage part of it, um, trying something new, mm. back to our storytelling, yeah. you know, be brave, try something new, um, put your own self-doubt aside. And I think people carry a lot of self-doubt. You know, yes. it's difficult, life's hard, people change. Um, we often judge ourselves very harshly mm. so uh, be brave about what you're doing and also kindness and compassion you know you can never ever go wrong and if you can be kind and and compassion for people you're dealing with mm. we don't know what's going on in their lives we don't know what happened to them that morning the night before and they've still turned up to work and they're still there with you that next day yeah. and they might not be quite the person you thought they were yeah. but you need to have that compassion for them That's so great. i think stay stay awkward brave and kind is great i'm mm. just i think about that a lot mm. um and i and i think that's you know, what we need to do in this day and age yeah i no, i like that i mean brené brown i t- i t- i'm gonna have to start charging her i think royalties or something because she gets mentioned so often in a lot of the podcasts that I've, and for good reason to be yeah, fair for be. very good yeah, reason she, she absolutely should be i i'm with you all the way i'm a huge huge fan of um of Brené Brown um and and all of her kind of wisdom collective wisdom is is um hugely inspiring isn't it so mm-hmm. and I, I really mm-hmm. like that one that's a great choice i like that one stay awkward brave and 
kind kind yeah what great what a great philosophy to live by thank you jane isn't it yeah so it may be it'd be interesting now then to see if the lady herself appears in your three dinner guests so who are your three dinner guests dead or alive real or fictional who would you invite okay so they're all real two are dead one's alive one okay none of them are brené brown i think um she's had enough she's had enough She's had enough airtime. She's had enough airtime, yeah. So my first one would be Victoria Wood, the comedian. Yes, good choice. I mean, I grew up listening to her and watching her. And I don't think when I was growing up, I mean, she's a little bit older than I am, but when I was growing up, I really kind of understood fully where she was coming from. But as I've got older, I just think she was so on the money with yes. what she talked about and the way she saw life mm. and she was funny oh, God, so, so funny, funny you know, yeah. and her um, dinner ladies oh i uh, love i'm glad you uh, mentioned dinner ladies i just love, I love that dinner program ladies. And my favorite, ske- favorite sketch of hers, the one in the workout, in the workout she's doing the workout and that <laughs> um song she does on the piano yeah, that, yeah. Um, music oh, was great. Yeah, she's just yeah. So Victoria great Wood. Yeah, yeah. She's and I think it was you know it was such a loss when she died, mm. and uh, she had a lot more in her, a lot more to say. Mm. Very sad for her and sad for us. Yeah. Uh, my next guest will be Carrie Fisher. Also, she's Ooh, dead. Good but one. Yes. My dinner party, um, because I think she was also such an interesting person. Uh, lived such a crazy life I mean yes. extreme as crazy as, as in extreme yeah. um, and but you know maintain such a a personal integrity throughout mm. all the things and it was also very very funny and I think kind and yes. I think had a lot of compassion for other people yeah. and then my third guest um, is a, a philosopher called Byron Katie a woman yeah and she's written a book called loving what is and it's all about one's asking oneself uh, to really think about um our understanding of situations and many many things but one of the things is about questions so when we think something is the way it is she encourages us to really check on the authenticity of that um belief and she has a lot more to say oh, wow. about how we manage our brains and how we manage our thoughts um she actually does a lot of um online um what can i call it it's not really therapy it's not really counseling it's exposition of her of her philosophy of life actually yeah. and uh, i recommend that's worth tuning in for um okay. and listening to some of her sort of almost like counseling that she has with other people when they yeah. bring their problems yeah. to her um but i think one thing i've learned in the pandemic is to um i've done a lot of thinking about my own reactions and my the way i react mm-hmm. to things that have happened to me and things i think about and how i think about stuff that happened to me and stuff in my life and you know one thing i've learned is that we can we can certainly control our thoughts in a way that means they don't rule our lives yeah and that's really important um in terms of our own happiness and how we deal with our friends and family and how we view our overall life um it's so easy to get drowned in the noise and anything we can do to manage uh, our overactive brains is i think 
were very worthwhile. Yeah, I would agree with you completely. There, that's a that would that's a powerful lesson to learn, isn't it? I think mm-hmm. because it's so easy to allow that that negative narrative that always mm-hmm. kind of is, inevitably yeah. takes over. Um, you know, and I think that it, I, that's kind of. Um, uh, evolutionary isn't it that negative that um immediate kind of well, as you said earlier it's like that f- f- fight or flight response that's evolutionary mm-hmm. it's a part of who we are as human beings isn't it so wonderful guest carrie fisher i mean of course she was princess leah as well but i agree with you she yeah. she had a, a, a great life and very witty very um, was, yeah. yeah very yeah. witty very witty lady um i hadn't heard of um your third guest but I'd, i certainly will be checking her out based on your um introductions and uh, recommendations from what you've yeah what you've got Byron from Katie, you might you might think that's a funny choice given that i just talked about storytelling and um you know picking up on themes about where why why we're doing the jobs we're doing and and so on i'm not saying put our thoughts down i'm just saying be aware of our thoughts absolutely really important that we understand that um we're not our thoughts actually yeah and that and i think also if we can understand that we can also reach a better a better place in terms of using our experiences unfiltered and Mm. not in, in a way that we present them as a very biased set of mm. circumstances but almost like a neutral thing that happens then we can actually use that as a place to build on to yeah. human mood working in leadership and whether we're dealing with people at work or people at home friends and family uh people in our communities it's it's such a good place to start from yeah and and they say you know they say change starts from within doesn't it so you know mm-hmm. we, that, that's a great that's a great point to to end our our conversation on so Jane, it's been an absolute pleasure um, and I'm really grateful for your time today. I've really enjoyed listening to your um, insights and experiences on storytelling and I'm sure our listeners will will thoroughly enjoy listening to the episode as well. So that brings this episode to a close and that all that remains for me to say is to thank you, Jane, for being with being with us today um, and thank you for our listeners for listening as always. So until next time, it's goodbye from Jane. Thank you, Becky. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from us. So, yeah, we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to The Leadership Blog, where we're navigating everyday leadership. This is a non-affiliated podcast, and any views, thoughts and opinions expressed by the hosts or guests belong solely to them, and not necessarily to their employer, organisation, committee or other group or individual.